0: Hey, we're going to San Francisco. That's right. And we're going to have flowers in our hair, San Francisco, because we are performing at SF Sketch Fest for the second year running. We can't wait. We are doing a rare afternoon show on Sunday, January 15th at 1 p.m. Go to sfsketchfest.com to inquire about tickets and get them fast because they're going to sell out because you guys are always so good to us. And we can't wait to see everybody there. SFSketchfest.com Sunday afternoon, 1 p.m. January 15th. Bye-bye. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and Jerry's over there. It's nice and cool in here in the studio. Studio 1A. It's Election Day. It is. Yeah. Don't tell us what happens if you're listening <laughs> to this after Tuesday. Right. Spoiler-free zone. Right. How you feeling? Nervous? Tense? About no the no. puke? Nope. No. None of the above. Well, good, man. You look like you're gelling like a felon. Chuck, <laughs> <laughs> so, that means. Don't you know, remember those... Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, do you remember being a child? Uh, sure. Do you remember about a, two weeks ago when we released our action uh, figure episode? I do. Well, we talked a lot about being a child and about toys, and we even touched on advertising and deregulation, which we will get into again a little bit here. But um, if you were a child and you watched television, basically at any point from the 1940s on, you were probably advertised to in some form or fashion. Sure. But early on, it was kind of clunky, right? Like the first ad, I think the first ad ever on TV was a bull of a watch ad, and it just showed a bull of a watch ticking off 60 seconds. Hey, what more do you need? Apparently nothing, right? And then they they thought, well, hey, people love to tune in to watch the hosts, so we'll have the hosts just pitch, you know, Colt brand firearms or whatever, you know?
0: (laughs) I thought you were going to say malt liquor.
1: No, that came later. Okay. First was the firearms. Gotcha. They go uh, well together, actually. <laughs> <laughs> right. One makes the other go off. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Th- uh, so they would have, like, hosts read this stuff. So when kids programming came into the fold, that just, it followed that kind of natural progression where, like, an ad was just this, uh, the host suddenly saying, like, Hey kids, by the way, you will love these firecrackers that have my picture on it, right? Who was that? Kinda <laughs> kinda hokey. Okay. There was actually I found this one really great um article on advertising to children and it talks about this nineteen fifties show called Miss Frances' Ding Dong School. Yeah. And Miss Frances, she would like read to the kids, talk to them like they were kids, but just basically it was a cute little kid show from what I can gather. Sure. Then every once in a while she would say, kids, it's time for a very special message. Go get your parents and bring them in to hear this special message. And the kids would run and get their parents and bring them in to see the TV. And yeah. uh, Miss Francis would fool everybody by pitching an ad, basically. So these are like the early ads, right? Sure. It wasn't until, I think, 1952 that the actual first ad for a kid's product, a toy, by the name of Mr. Potato Head, first hit the airwaves.
0: That's right uh you know 50 1952 mm-hmm. wasn't that long ago but um things have really really changed since then and one of the big reasons why it's changed is because companies and corporations and toy makers and fast food chains and candy uh candy candy yeah Sure. Is that a word?
1: <laughs> sure. It is now. We're descriptivists. Taffy makers.
0: <laughs> they uh, they all know that kids, there's a lot of money not only in what kids want to buy for themselves, but the influence kids have right. on their family and what they do. It's blockbuster. And not only that, but like, you know, we talk, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but... Indoctrinating these kids at a very young age right. as brand loyalists. Yeah, because like get them while they're young.
1: Yeah, and and if you you if you do that, you're kind of like planting seeds that will hopefully grow into something where you're like, well, Colgate toothpaste, love me. Yeah, I remember that from being a kid. So when I, I don't see want Colgate, yuck mouth. Right. Exactly. I remember the cartoons. I want to be loved by Mother Colgate. Yeah. So that's what you buy as an adult.
0: What was the? uh We yeah. put holes in teeth. Remember that? Vaguely. I don't... Who, who it was might that? have been a little before your time. The, it was... I don't remember the toothpaste. It may have been Colgate. It didn't work. Or no, either. I think it was the Crest team. Hmm. But it was just a full-on superhero team of cavity fighters. I remember them. Wedged into cartoon programming. Yes, I remember that. And, uh, you know, as a... Well, well, we'll talk about it, but I couldn't tell the difference between that and the cartoon I was watching.
1: I remember being at school... And being taught how to brush my teeth
0: with those same guys.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The Crest cavity fighters or something like that.
0: Yeah. And, of course, we're talking about fighting cavities. And as you'll see in some of this material, like, sometimes these brands try and push things for good, but they're still pushing their brand.
1: Yeah. That's the thing, man. It's so easy to just be like, oh, wow, Colgate really does love my children or (laughs) Crest really does care (laughs) about my kids' teeth. No, they don't. They do not. They, well, they don't love you or your family. They don't actually care about your kids' teeth. They care about creating this kind of relationship
0: between the brand and your family. They care that your kids have teeth. You, there you go. Because they could sell toothpaste. It's true. Uh, so when we talk about influence, um, you found um, a study from about eight years ago. Yeah, this is the, this is the most
1: recent stuff I could find. Some of it seems a little oldish, but this is as, as new as I could find, man. I'm sorry, Chuck.
0: Oh, that's right. So the influence basically is what we're talking about of kids over their family. These, um, these little power wielding monsters. <laughs> <laughs> Three foot tall power wielding monsters. Yeah,
1: man, you're in for it, you know.
0: That apparently 97% of the time they will influence, um, the breakfast choice. 95% I see that. the lunch choice. Sure. Uh, going out to eat, 98% of the time, you're going to go where your kid wants to go? Yeah, and 34%
1: of kids have a say every time. Which okay. Is-
0: All right, I think the 98% was just casual family meal. What's the difference between that and the choice of restaurant? So, like, I want to eat hamburgers, or specifically I want to eat, you know, in and out Burger?
1: I think, no, I think the 34% of kids... Every time the family goes out to eat, the kid has a say in 34% of families. Okay. Whereas overall, 98% of Restaurant choices have a kid say in it. Okay. But that doesn't mean every kid gets that say every time. Okay. It's a bit. It's a bit confusing. <laughs> Maybe even
0: unnecessary. One could argue. I think we could just agree that kids have an undue amount of power. Sure. <laughs> what else? Uh, software. Seventy percent. Seventy-six percent of the time, they're going to influence what kind of software you're buying in the family. And sixty percent of the time, what kind of computer? Sure. Family outings. Ninety-four percent. Family trips. And excursions. That's a depressing stat. I didn't have any choice of where we went as a child. Yeah. No, I was told where we were going on vacation. I was never asked.
1: I don't remember being asked either. I mean, like, they, my parents mostly planned family trips that, like, we would enjoy. Trip, sure. But I don't remember
0: them being like, do you want to go here? Or here. No, that never It was like, this is me. where we're going. Yeah. And I was, I mean, it was always camping for us and a lot of times in Florida or, uh, mostly in Florida.
1: Well, oh, yeah, you grew up in Georgia, Florida. Why would you Did a you lot not? of beach camping. Sure.
0: But, um yeah, we certainly never got any say, like, I want to go to Disney World. Right. You've been told They'd be like, that's great. Like, yeah. Why don't you wish in one hand? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you take that influence that kids have over their parents' Purchases and you combine it with their actual like allowance or lawn mowing money or whatever the money that they actually spend from their own pockets and what you have is called kids' buying power and it is staggering, right? Back in 2000, kids' buying power equaled about 500 billion dollars a year. Chump change in the United States. Yeah, it's just gotten more and more, higher and higher. 2005, it had gone up to 700 billion, right? Trump change. You want to hit him with the 2012 stat? And this is, this is almost five years ago now. $1.2 trillion. That's how much <laughs> money kids directly or indirectly spend in the United States. It's amazing. It is. So there's one more factor, too, that makes advertisers really want kids. They will eventually grow into... Adult consumers—they're yeah. already kid consumers. They're already influencing their parents' buying choices, but they'll eventually grow up. And like you said, if you can hit them young yeah. and get that brand loyalty developed, then they will grow up and remember that that affiliation to it, that yeah. nostalgia, you know. Yeah, and you will you will buy that product throughout your lifetime. I think I use Crest toothpaste. Sure, I know? still
0: I still go to Colgate. Do you? It, yeah, that's what I was raised on. Uh, so I looked up something, um, it's called pester power. Have you ever heard of that? Mm-hmm. That is, um, well, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's how kids manipulate their parents into getting them things, and it's by pet bothering them. Right. Uh, and they did some, uh, some, the YouGov Omnibus parent survey got some stats, and, um, 57% of parents think their children are successful persuaders. And the top tactic from a kid, uh, according to 71% of parents is, Verbal negotiation. Uh, 50% said they were, they were bartered. Like, I'll do more chores or I'll get better grades. Yeah. If you get me this stuff. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> it should be like, no, nah, you should get better grades anyway. <laughs> you know, not <laughs> yeah. really going to buy you this garbage. Yeah. Uh, 45% create wish lists. That was big when we were kids.
1: I, that was one of the funnest things to do. Go through, through, the through that Sears wish book.
0: Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Um, all those kids always look so happy in there, too, you know?
1: Do you? I've showed you that, like, wishbook web before where they just go it's through amazing. and scan
0: old catalogs. Talk about nostalgia. Oh, man, it's wonderful. Uh, John Hodgman would even look at that, and, like, I would see a slight Shut smile a tear, <laughs> creep over his face. A tear goes down <laughs> his cheek, and a drop of blood goes out of his ear. Right, and then that... Tear turns to acid and then burns through the floor. He's like, stop. (laughs) No, I won't give in. Uh, Parents say some kids list pros and cons or write letters or PowerPoint presentations. Nice. 14% of kids write PowerPoint presentations That's to lobby
1: for a gift. I'd be like, good for you, buddy. You're learning some future skills. You're going to be a salesman,
0: a robe warrior. And apparently 42% of parents said that they buckled and bought the item at an average purchase cost. Of two hundred and thirty three dollars. Whoa. Talk about pester power. I would I would make a PowerPoint presentation
1: for a two hundred and thirty dollar item.
0: Yeah, but first you have to lobby for the PowerPoint software. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you can make your presentation. Right. To get your garbage
1: toy. That reminds me, um, Yumi told me when she was a kid, she made this basically this menu of stuff. That her parents would pay her money for. It'd be like, uh-huh. didn't put salt on my food at dinner. You give me fifteen cents. Oh, or like penalties? <laughs> oh, not penalties. <laughs> it was stuff that she was doing. Uh huh. And then they would just pay her for it. And her parents looked at it and were like, this is a really great idea, except like you said earlier. It's extortion. <laughs> you're supposed to be doing this anyway. Right. We'll tell you if you can put salt on your food. We're not going to give you money to not put salt on your food. Yeah. You just can't automatically. No money involved. Right. But yeah, pester power. Do you know what my
0: allowance was? Do you remember what your allowance was? Oh, yes. What? $5 a month.
1: Uh, well, this is back in 1976, right? Yeah, 77. Well, that's like $100,000 today.
0: <laughs> I, I should look that up. I'm curious what that would be in today's
1: dollars. $5 a month. Huh? Five bucks a month. That does seem small. What'd you do with it?
0: I think I probably saved it, if I remember correctly, and saved up to buy things. I was, I mean, I got my first job when I was 13. Whoa. Because I was like, I want my money to buy things. <laughs> well, to buy Star Wars, to buy, guys. Right? My, my own stuff. I knew that, you know, I mean, my parents were teachers. In fact, at the time, my mom wasn't even working. Oh, yeah. So it was a single parent teacher mm-hmm. household. Yeah. So we, we were fine, but we didn't, have, they didn't throw money at a lot of stuff. Right. So. Those socks are good. Just sew them together and make a new sock.
1: And then yeah, wait I mean, for two
0: more socks we were, to get hold of so them. They were <laughs> frugal and they didn't, Give me a hundred dollars a week, and oh yeah, I had friends that got allowances like that, and I was yeah. just like, "That's not." Even when
1: I was a kid, I remember being like, "That seems wrong." Yeah, like why? Why are you getting that? You're not doing anything for that money. Like the kids who got the hundred dollar a week allowances were the ones who did the least of all. Yes, you know. Like I crossed the board. <laughs> I worked around my house. I'll tell you that uh-huh. I'd sit on my face all yeah. the time. I didn't get one hundred dollars a week sweeping that chimney.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right. So all this equals a lot of spending, and then on the flip side of that, you are going to have a lot of spending on advertising. Yeah. Um, in the U.S. in two thousand nine, companies spent seventeen billion dollars on advertising directly at children and kids in America. This is horrifying. Kids in the United States today see 40,000 ads a year.
1: Yeah. Wow. So 17 billion, that sounds like a lot, and it is, right? But in 1983, just in 1983, they spent $100 million on ads. It jumped up that much since 1983, and we'll see why in a little while. 40,000, that's 110 ads a day that kids are seeing. Could that be right? That's 110 ads that are out there on, on kids' programming. It doesn't necessarily mean they see them all. They're just there for them to see.
0: Oh, so when it says kids see an estimated, that just means they're out there for them to see. So
1: here's something, here's something that I'm, I've run across. There are, there's a huge body of research on advertising to kids Mm -hmm. that we'll get into. There are also some figures out there where it's like, I've seen this, but then I've also seen that. Yeah, sure. You know, so like you said 110 ads a day. Yeah, that's that's. There's no way that any kid has ever seen 110
0: ads in a day. I don't know, man. Think about it. But we've billboards, internet commercials. I guess that's entirely possible. I I guess that's possible. You might see 25 ads on
1: your way home from school. But I have seen that 40,000 ads a year thing all over the
0: place for sure. I I could buy that. So ads in school, which we'll get to.
1: So yeah. So there's there's this whole idea that yeah oh man that's that's a lot of ads or that's a lot of money being spent to advertise to children maybe we should tone it down or maybe we should think about how we're doing this a little differently no say some people yes there's a particularly a group called commercial free childhood campaign for a commercial free childhood and they say kids should not see ads at
0: all, yeah. Even the say the good ones that say eat this healthy thing yeah. or brush your teeth
1: don't. Because what they're saying is is if you teach kids. To identify with products through the kind of advertising, which is basically celebrity endorsement, whether that celebrity is Don Mattingly or um, (laughs) Tony the Tiger, like a made-up celebrity, Uh it's still a cult of personality that the kid is buying into, not, oh, these carrots actually are good to me or good for me. It's Don Mattingly says that I can be a world-class home run hitter if I eat these carrots, you know what I'm saying? Sure. So the focus is still on mindless consumerism, even if they are being leaned toward, uh, like, good commercial or yeah, good, uh, good product or whatever. Yeah, or good habits product. or whatever. Right.
0: Yeah. This one uh, selection that you pulled here was really telling. It says, um, "Advertising in and of itself is harmful to children. Marketing targets emotions, not intellect. Yeah. Trains children to choose products not for the actual value, but because of what's on the package or the celebrity." undermines critical thinking, promotes impulse buying. Yeah. That's like, it says it all. That was uh, Susan Lynn of the uh, campaign for commercial free childhood. Right. Makes a lot of sense. It, it, don't it, regulate it, get rid of it. Exactly. And there's been a lot of pushes over
1: the years to do just that in the United States. Other countries have done it. Um, and as people have kind of battled over this, th- this, a lot of study has been done on what impact advertising has on kids' brains. Yeah. And we'll dive into that right after these messages.
0: All right, before we broke uh, – well, earlier we were talking about – I was saying I couldn't – when I was a kid, I remember the Crest Cavity Fighters, mm-hmm. and I just thought it was another cartoon. Um, that's not because I was a dumb kid. It's because if you are – they've determined, and this is through scientific study and inquiry, that if you are under four years old, you literally cannot tell the difference between a commercial and the program you're watching. No. Like, not at all. Even if they
1: use – uh, uh, commercial break techniques yep. like we'll be right back after
0: these messages or whatever. Right, which they have to use. You notice you don't see that between, uh, you know, commercials for Seinfeld.
1: <laughs> no. You know? No, it's true. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> Can you believe it?
0: <laughs> but you have to have that stuff in kids' programming, even though if you're under the age of four, does no good.
1: No, like the kid literally cannot discern between the program they're watching and the ads. That, that's nuts to me. I didn't realize that until I started researching. Did, did you know that? Uh
0: well, we talked about it in the a couple of weeks ago, but yeah. Oh, we did. Yeah. Okay. Um between 4 and 5 as you start to get a little bit older, you might be able to tell a difference categorically, but you're still it's it's more along the lines of well, that's shorter. That that cartoon was really short
1: or it was funnier. Yeah. That, or or, or it looked funny. different or whatever.
0: Right. So you can tell the difference, but you still don't know you're being, you know, no shoveled and add down your tiny little throat. Right. Yeah.
1: And there's two there's two things that children lack that you need to be able to understand and add at its basis, right? And one is you have to number one be able to differentiate it from the program. Uh-huh. So you have to be able to say, Oh, it's an ad. When they said, uh, after these messages, we'll be right back. It means that the show went away. And now what I'm seeing is an ad. That's step one. Step two is that you have to be able to understand that in any kind of ad, you're being advertised to you're you're being persuaded and that the message that's coming at you is biased and therefore you should take it with a grain of salt right that comes even later than understanding the difference between an ad and the program right the uh, the the idea that you're you're being advertised to doesn't come until
0: at least seven from what i've seen you don't even know what grain of salt means (laughs) you don't know what that expression means no you know no idea because you can't even say as a parent, "I'll oh, take it with a grain of salt." It's an ad. They'll go, "What, what? are these words?"
1: What I like salt.
0: <laughs> uh, there's a center for new American dream, and um, this is frightening. They said babies as young as six months old can form mental images of corporate logos and mascots.
1: I I I, I didn't find what that's how they figured that out. Was it like, "Here, baby, draw draw Don Manningly."
0: <laughs> what is it with Don Headingley? <laughs> Has he ever endorsed anything? He's like anything? a top promoter right now, right? Is he? I don't know. What year is this? He's like 86. <laughs> okay. Uh, and brand loyalties can be established by the age of two. And um Yeah, that one, that's crazy to me. And apparently, in a British study at least, they found it, you have to be close to a teenager, up to about 12, is when you can finally really discern an ad from content and its intent.
1: On an adult level. Yeah. It's about where you finally enter that threshold. And what's interesting is that the group that that conducted that study and concluded that was an advertising lobbying group. So even they are like, uh, yes, kids under the age of 12 are mentally incapable of discerning the intent and content of ads. All they get is... The, the the overall message of the ad, which is, you want this. Right. Go tell your parents that you want this. Mm-hmm. Go P- make your parents... Pester pettis. power. Exactly. Use a PowerPoint. Yeah. And the American Psychology Association, they had this task force in 2004, and they basically looked at all the available literature over the last, like, di- pr- you know, several decades. I think it was the 60s where they really started looking into it. Um, and the APA basically concluded, yes... Kids are, kids can't understand advertising. Yeah. It's unfair to advertise to kids.
0: This is the position of the APA. Like, if it were up to us, it would be banned. Yes.
1: They suggested that it should be banned. Right. That kids under them. the age of at least seven, I think the APA said, should not see ads directed toward them.
0: But, like I say, not up to them. They can only recommend and be laughed at. <laughs> right. oh, corporations with hippies. Deep pockets, you commies.
1: <laughs> go work on a commune,
0: hippie. Uh, so when it comes to nutrition, this is a really big deal. Um, there are a lot of advertisements for, uh, candy and junk food and fast food that are rammed down your kid's throat from a very early age. And there's been, uh, you can't provide a direct, uh, Causation, of course. No, everybody's like, give it to me. But there's a lot of correlation that watching these commercials and seeing these ads, uh, correlates to your kid eating more of this stuff and maybe gaining weight. Right, and maybe affecting overall childhood obesity.
1: Yeah, and again, remember the advertising on av- or the money spent on advertising to children in 1983 was 100 million dollars. It went up to 17 billion in 2009. I'm sure in 83 they were like 100 million. Yeah, yeah, but even still, I, I think I think it was still considered kind of. Paltry ish. Yeah. I mean, especially if you adjust for inflation, it's still nothing like yeah. seventeen billion, right? And if you go back over time and look at the rates of childhood obesity, it tracks along the same, the same um, graph.
0: Yeah. So it's one of the factors. Sure. Can we just say agree on that?
1: Yeah. And uh, studies have found also. So not only are your kids being exposed to a high percentage of the ads that they see are junk food ads. Yeah. But it's we've also it's been shown that. If you show kids junk food ads, and adults too, actually, but it really works on kids, they will eat more junk food while they're watching the ads. Yeah. It's basically um, what's called the priming effect, where... The, a kid will be sitting there seeing an ad for Twinkies well there's no Twinkies in the house but there's a box of Twix I'll eat the box of Twix yeah And a, actually, a box of Twix I used to eat a box of Twix my mom would hide it around the house so uh. when I found them I had to eat the whole thing because I, I knew that she'd find that I found them and yeah. hide them even better you never knew where they were going to end up next right I'd just be eating them like a little fat squirrel uh, so a 2009 study found that kids who watched a program, uh, with commercials, um, ate 50% more calories than the kids who watched the same program without commercials. Yeah. So the actual presence of the commercials gets kids to eat more food. And the food that they usually have at hand and they're being primed to eat is junk food.
0: Well, here's a study. Boy, this is study and stat packed. I thought you'd like that. It's got my uh, juices flowing. Okay. <laughs> uh, in Quebec, America's hat, one part of America's hat, they have the opposite effect. They, for the past 32 years, have banned fast food advertising geared towards children online and in print. And that province has the least childhood obesity in Canada. Yeah. It's so, actually,
1: it's even older than that. I should correct you that. It was 1980 that they oh, banned really? it. Yeah, they just said, no, no. Yeah, no moth.
0: <laughs> Wait, that's America's pants.
1: <laughs> uh, they said no way, eh? Yeah, no. In Quebec, they said it in French. They said no. Oh,
0: okay. Mais non, no. <laughs> D'accord. But I mean, how can you look? I know uh, there are still other factors, of course. But how can you look at these statistics and not just run screaming down the street like a crazy person? I don't know. Like companies are trying to make your kids fat.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, we come back to the Dorito effect. The book you should read it. Yeah. Because if you read it, it, like, even with me, it's taken malicious intent off the table. It's more just like, this is just the way it is. These people, right. these companies have products and they make money selling the product. Sure. So they're going to advertise the product and yeah. your, your kid's going to love it. And if you don't want your kid to eat it,
0: tell your kid no, you lazy parent. Well, yeah. Which we'll get into later. Sure. Uh, this is, we should point out too, this is not just in traditional advertising. Uh, product placement has been booming for the past, past decade for sure, but even before that. Yeah, I think it really started in the eighties. But I mean, it's really like product placement is like it's never been before. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a study in 2008. Why is every study in this thing at least eight years old? I, I
1: couldn't <laughs> find anything newer. It's crazy. Well, let's
0: just say it's, it's like probably. Like Newt
1: Gingrich came along and somehow cut <laughs> off funding for it.
0: Well, I think we can just say everything's worse than these studies. Then
1: I would, I would guess.
0: In 2008, there were ne- nearly 35,000 food, beverage, and restaurant brands and primetime TV programming, and that's not in commercials; that's product placement. Yeah, 35,000.
1: Yeah, apparently, kids saw an average of 198 Coke product placements throughout the year. Uh, during 2008,
0: that's about three to four a week. And that's just in a movie that you're watching, in a right. TV show that you're watching. Yeah. that That's on top of all the ads that they're getting. Right. It's literally like indoctrination.
1: So not only are your kids incapable of understanding what ads are, um the ads are having a pronounced negative effect on their health, Cor- speaking through correlation. Right. Right. It's, again, there's no smoking gun that where some kid was like, that Oreo ad just made me eat this Oreo everybody. Right. <laughs> and then he was whisked off to Johns Hopkins to be raised in a cage for the rest of his life. Yeah. That has not happened yet. We can only hope one day. But the correlation, uh, is, uh, is definitely there. And they're also becoming, uh, more and more ubiquitous. Right. Yes. Um, so. There, there was this Yale study from 2012, Chuck, not that long ago. All right. In 2012, they looked at, um, fast food, fast food marketing to children, fast food advertising specifically. Yeah. And they found, um, that McDonald's was far and away the biggest spender on advertising to kids. Sure. Specifically with their Happy Meal brand, which is basically now a sub-brand of McDonald's. Yeah. The Happy
0: Meal is. I think I remember when the Happy Meal was invented. Yeah, and the Happy Meal... That was 70s or 80s, right? Sure. And it was not invented for adults. No, no, no. The toy
1: (laughs) tie-ins, Ronald McDonald, these were not things that they developed to sell more hamburgers to adults or because the adults make the choice of where to go eat.
0: It was for kids, right? Yeah, it was a specific choice to sell more fast food to kids.
1: Yeah. And in this 2012 study... In just that year alone, um, McDonald's spent $42 million on advertising just the Happy Meals
0: in 2012. Here's one that will shake you to the core. The average U.S. child between 2 and 11 saw 185 Chicken McNugget Happy Meal commercials on TV last year. Yeah. 185 ads for Chicken McNuggets.
1: Yep. And then, so that's a lot. But to really put in perspective, the number two advertiser to children for fast food was Burger King. They had a kids meal. Um, kids saw an average of 23.4 of those per year. Not 185,
0: 23
1: was the second place contestant, which is why Burger King's never in first. (laughs) (laughs) They're not spending enough on
0: advertising (laughs) to kids. There's a Burger King executive right now that just made, like pulled over and made a note. Spend more. (laughs) Uh I remember how they got I don't I'm sure they still do this. I haven't like I literally haven't looked at what a happy meal is and it's nothing like when kid. we were kids.
1: Remember it came in the box and like is it not it's like a it doesn't bag do that anymore? No, no. Huh. It's in a bag, a a paper bag. Is it a special bag? Yeah, but Does it have, like puzzles in you them. You have to be a kid to really recognize it as special. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where the box is like it's its own
0: thing. Yeah, it was a little gift. Yeah. Um, but how they really got us back then, I don't know if they still do this, is, uh, you know, collect all four. Oh, they still do that. They do? No, it's like collect all 16. Right. So it would be, I remember some stupid little car that you would put a penny in. Oh, those were great penny racers. Yeah. And you would, like, pull it back and it would spin or something or pop a wheelie. Or just take off like a rocket. <laughs> and collect all four. So it's like, it's not even enough like it's hard for me to not visualize the devil himself <laughs> right. in an advertising room El going like yeah well we we can sell this this meal to kids more if we include a toy and some other guy saying oh well how about if there's four different toys right. and they have to go back four different times to get a different color each time yeah and i remember the the drive
1: through people would be like you got what you got. You have yeah. to go through and buy another Happy Meal if you want a different. You have to keep. You weren't guaranteed to get that total. Oh, no.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, way
1: more than four t- trips yeah. to get your Happy Meal. What a time to be alive. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, advertising has actually gone down in, in, in some ways. Kids. <laughs> by, kids f- by
0: fractions of percentage just points. Just little <laughs> bits,
1: yeah. But for the most part, it's trending upward. And apparently, there's um, nowadays little tots that go on to websites to play yeah some of these websites like happymeal.com, not to pick on McDonald's but man they they definitely have spread it out enough so that they're a a an enormous uh, part of this dude
0: McDonald's had a website for preschool children
1: ronald.com
0: they, they shut it down finally yeah but they literally had a website for preschoolers right <laughs> <laughs> I know it uh, uh, sounds like it was clown heavy.
1: Happy dot com in 2012 had 100,000 monthly uniques. I don't even think How Stuff Works has 100,000 <laughs> monthly uniques. <laughs> and happy Meal dot com does, right? And these are little kids, and they're going on and doing their thing, having a great time, playing on Happy dot com. But this whole website is one big ad. Right? Yeah. And even outside of HappyMill.com on other websites like CartoonNetwork.com or Nick.com, like Nickelodeon's website, yeah. you're going to see ad placements, banner ads, or whatever kind of ads on these other websites for Happy Meals. They're all over the place.
0: Yeah. Of the uh, top 25 advertisers, 19 of those 25 increased advertising to preschoolers, uh, Domino's, Pizza, I guess they're more than pizza now. They're just
1: Domino's now.
0: Kinds of stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, Domino's increased advertising to children by 44%. Uh, I think, when was this? Between 2009 and 2012. Uh, Wendy's by 13%. And McDonald's is the only restaurant that advertises more to children than teens or adults. Yeah. More, they advertise more to kids. Right. Hard to believe. Plus,
1: also there's, I was looking at this, there's, um, apps now too. So beyond the websites, you can also download apps that, oh, sure. again, if you're a kid, you're just playing, mm-hmm. you're on the McPlay app. Yeah. But if you go onto the McPlay app, so like their, their toy giveaway, the big tie in now is the Trolls movie, or oh, okay. it was recently, and you would get your Trolls character out of the Happy Meal box and you would, Scan it with your phone and upload it onto your McPlay app, and you could make your troll character, the little real one that you have in real life, go play in
0: the troll game in the McPlay app. Was the troll game like um, McDonald's Wonderland or something?
1: Yeah, but it's also the trolls movie, so you're being like hit with this advertising, this joint advertising. God knows how much the trolls production gave to mcdonald's sure. to host this whole thing yeah yeah so there's there's this uh there's the average ads are not even ads anymore they're not even websites anymore they're games i i don't mean to get worked up it's just astounding like it that, is when you that, start digging that, in it,
0: it, you just feel like you're drowning well and in i think once people listen to this you start to notice things a little more around you like even reading this stuff over the past few days I just start to see it everywhere all of a sudden. Right. I'm like, oh my god. Some parent
1: out there was like, Mick Play? I get it now. Give me that <laughs> phone.
0: Uh, here's something we mentioned earlier that is, um, well, you'd think that school would be the one place where your kids can go for eight or nine hours a day <laughs> right. and escape this onslaught of advertising. But no. <laughs> Schools are, uh, they have budget cuts increasingly across the country. And so who sweeps in but corporations to say, hey, we'd love to get a computer center for you.
1: We'd hate for your
0: school to fail. Yeah. So how about the new um uh Jack in the Box computer center? <laughs> well, will Jack in the Box be there to cut the <laughs> ribbon on the first day? Well, sure he will. I think he will be. A homeless man dressed as Jack in the Box <laughs> will be. Will every kid get a Jack in the Box antenna head? Oh, I think they will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, so that's what's happening is corporations, they, they either have partnerships or they have vending machine contracts. Um, and the, you make, I don't know uh, where you got this particular part. This was very well put together, by the way. Thank you. But um, they make the point here that you've got a captive audience. Kids are, it's like prison. Right. They're stuck there. Can't leave. There's a cop that's making sure they stay there. <laughs> well, I didn't have a cop in my schools, but uh, I think they're. They came along about my era. Oh, okay. Um, we had our guy, he wasn't a cop, but he was the... Resource officer. Yeah, I don't, we didn't call him that. I, I, I just Barney Fife. Sort of. Yeah. He just basically kind of walked around the parking lots. With a billy bat? Looking, looking, for, <laughs> <laughs> looking for kids, <laughs> smoking or or leaving in their car yeah. or doing whatever. And yeah. so, I remember he was always very easy to evade. I imagine. <laughs> Only so much ground you can cover is one single man. Sure. Single, board man. Right. Um... And this is before cell phones too. I imagine that guy now is just like parked somewhere playing on this McPlay. McPlay. <laughs> <laughs> I love this trolls game. Uh but not only they're captive but that it implies the endorsement of the teachers and the educational system. Yeah. Which is huge.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, so much so that like remember we were talking about the Crest Cavity team mm-hmm. and I learned about like oral hygiene. Those two words put together are awful, by the way. Yeah, that's gross. But I learned that through Crest, right? And it came with free toothpaste and a tooth, Crest toothbrush and all uh-huh. that. And there's like an activity book. And yes, I was learning about this stuff, but it was Crest sponsored. But in my little brain, I'm like, well, I guess my school thinks Crest is great.
0: Therefore, yeah. Crest is great. Right. You know? Or they might come out and, A bunch of, uh, out of work actors dressed up as the Crest Cavity team. Sure. Might make an appearance at your school. Oh yeah, if you go to like Hollywood High or something. (laughs) A rich school. That's pretty funny if you've ever seen Hollywood High. It's like not very rich looking. No. Nope. There's
1: rich kids that go there, right? Dylan and...
0: No, that was... That was, uh, Beverly. Beverly That's what I mean. That's what I meant. Oh, okay. That is a rich school. Yeah. I'll take you by Hollywood High next summer somewhere in L.A. Okay. Get a laugh. It's right there in the middle of town. <laughs> yeah. I think right next to the in and out Burger, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Uh, Charles Bukowski stumbling out. Of <laughs> so what else are you going to get in school? You might get a a Kraft healthy eating kit. Uh, again, maybe trying to teach you about eating healthy, but got their logo and, and products all over it. No more than five boxes of Kraft
1: brand <laughs> macaroni and cheese a day. Uh, what else? Um, there's exclusive... Contracts with companies. Yeah. We're like your high school is a Coke high school. You're not going to find a Pepsi vending machine in this high school district. Yeah. You know? Um, and those are probably fairly lucrative. Straight up advertising on buses. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I, we didn't have that when I was no. a kid, but apparently they do now.
0: Uh, how about this? A reading program, uh, Book It, brought to you by Pizza Hut. I did that. Did you? Oh, man. Reading enough to get a free personal pamphlet. Oh, pizza. is that what the deal was? Yeah. Oh, I was like, just give me some books. See, and that's the thing, though. It's like they're incentivizing reading. That's a good thing. Yeah, but incentivizing reading to eat their garbage food products. Right, <laughs> and it was like the focus of the summer. Yeah,
1: to 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 get to that point where you would get your free personal pan pizza certificate. Man, how did you prove that you read the books? It was an honor system. <laughs> well, we were all very honorable kids, apparently.
0: Uh. All right, should we take a break here? Yes. All right, we'll pause for this ad. The irony is not lost on us. (laughs) We'll be right back.
1: All right, Chuck. So if this kind of stuff is making your blood boil, some people out there totally understand it are saying, "Hey, man, we live in a capitalist country." Sure. Should be able to advertise the kids you got a product to sell, sell it the best way you can. Right. Okay. Other people out there are just so mad they're trembling in their Birkenstocks. Yeah. That's actually not, that's terrible. Uh they're just uh <laughs> They're just upset at the thought of all this, right? Uh And it does seem very overwhelming and unfair. Um, And for a while now in the U.S., we've got a longstanding tradition of groups coming up and trying to fight the advertisers, uh, getting almost somewhere and then failing. Yes. That's the history of
0: it here. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this in the Action Figures podcast, Um, and we'll go over some of it right now again. The, the, well, remember that inspired this episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 1970s, the FCC Communications Commission, um, they said, you know what, we should ban advertising to young kids. Uh, but they said, all right, well, maybe we shouldn't completely ban it. Maybe we should just limit it and limit the kinds of, how much they see and the kind of things you can say and do.
1: Right. Specifically, host selling. Right. Like, uh, Ms. Francis in her little ding dong hour stopping and selling
0: something. Yes. That was off limits now. That's right. Uh, then later on in the late 1970s, um, they, once again, the FTC this time. Yeah. Considered banning all the advertising to kids, citing all the evidence that's always been out there all over the place that points 100% in the direction. That kids can't tell the difference and right. that it unfairly takes advantage.
1: Yeah. Um and Congress said, Well, wait a minute now. We we help we we got here based largely on, you know, Crest. They got deep pockets and they funded us as a whole. Okay. Our congressional <laughs> election campaigns, right? Uh so they stopped it. They put a stop to the FTC. And the FTC said, Fine, fine, do what you want, you're Congress. But we're going to take a parting shot saying, if you look even cursorily at the at the medical literature on kids and advertising, you will see that this is wrong and it's a public concern and should remain that way.
0: And this is on you. Yeah. And they went, who cares? Yeah. Uh, and you talked about groups popping up. There's one called the Actions for Children's Television, ACT, founded in 1968 by Evelyn Sarson and Peggy uh, Charan. Sharen. Charin. Charin? She's the boat keeper on the River Styx. <laughs>
1: what? Charin. The guy, the the boat rower who would row you over to was the underworld. Yeah, I believe so. Oh man. Oh, oh, man, I hope so.
0: Uh, I thought it was, um, Old Skippy. <laughs> old, Sk- old Man Skippy. <laughs> that was, I mean, if you knew him, you'd call him <laughs> that. If you were a neighbor boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're a big deal now. Uh, 20,000 members. But back in the day, when they were just getting going, they were a pretty small little grassroots uh, unit. And Romper Room, of all things, was squarely in their sights at first. R- yeah, one of the Romper first Room. ones they took on.
1: Romper Room was like the least harmful, nicest show ever. I loved it. I did, too. Um, isn't that what Mr. Green
0: Jeans was on? Mm, no, that was uh Captain Kangaroo.
1: Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, oh, I don't remember Romper
0: Room then. I just remember I loved it. Romper Room was one that had the magic... Uh, magic mirror no and at the end of the episode the lady would look into the mirror and say like i see josh and i see jerry oh yeah you just sit there being like call my name (laughs) right and i didn't get many chucks so no did you say charles did you count yourself for that i don't remember it was sort of that feeling you get when you go to the anything that had like the names printed keychain yeah keychains (laughs) or the little (laughs) license plates yeah and it was always like, why is it my name Mike? Right. Or Josh.
1: Yeah. I'll just go with the number one astronaut one, the generic <laughs> one.
0: Not that Chuck is so random, but I didn't see it a ton. Sure. You don't hear a lot of Chucks these days. That name is out of fashion now. Yeah. That's cool. Nah, it's, uh, it's, it's not a, though. <laughs> it's, a uh, retro. Yeah. It's I'll, vintage. I'll take it. <laughs> um, so what did they do with Romper
1: Room? They, they said you're host selling. Yeah. Apparently, they had their own line of toys, and one of the things was, I guess she'd look in the mirror and say, I see this brand new line <laughs> of Romper Room toys that you're going to buy. And the uh, ACT said, hey, this is against the rules. Right. And they, they didn't even go to the FCC. They went to the station that r- produced Romper Room and, and, and just just said, knock them, it right? off. Yeah. We're mad. Yeah. And they listened to them. That was, I think, their first real victory.
0: Uh so Ronald Reagan we talked about in the action figures one this is when things got real in the 80s uh when yeah. Reagan specifically appointed Mark Fowler as commissioner of the FCC right everything changed
1: yeah cuz Reagan he liked deregulation sure he believed in free markets yeah uh, and he appointed Fowler who believed in free markets just as much as Reagan did Fowler had a um a saying as the FCC chairman, which is pretty rich, frankly, because the FCC had long been tasked with basically overseeing broadcasting for the public interest. Yeah. Right? It's one of the big reasons why... Um, Broadcasters got licenses. They had to like have public interest programming, a certain amount a week. Yeah. Um. They were look. They were supposed to be looking out for people, right? And Mark Fowler said the public interest would be decided by the public's interest, meaning that if. Somebody started doing something nefarious under this deregulation where the government wasn't paying attention anymore. Well, then people would stop watching that network and they would go under. The market would decide it. And advertising to children fell squarely into this, this purview or this, this worldview of his.
0: Yeah. And, uh, between 1984 and 1985, and this is what we touched on in the action figure show was, uh, cartoons featuring licensed characters increased by 300%. Yeah. It, it became the new I mean I don't think there almost were none that didn't have a tie-in.
1: No, there was there yeah, and before that just a couple years before there was none that did. Yeah. Because there was a a rule against what are called program length commercials, which was what Gem was, and My Little Pony, and Pac-Man, and and ThunderCats, and He-Man. Yeah. All of them were these these shows that were created to sell the products yep. and they tied into the products and it was just like open season on little kids minds.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're, you loved He-Man, right?
1: Sure. I definitely did. And Thundercats, Jason the Wheeled Warriors, like all that stuff. Mm. I was just a total sucker for it. Smurfs. Although I don't yeah. think Smurfs, I think they started out as an actual cartoon and then like their whole product line was launched as a result. Six months later. <laughs>
0: they were like why, are, much. why aren't we selling these things? Yeah. I was gonna ask you that. <laughs> uh in nineteen ninety the FCC finally had some rules uh pushed through that limited the airtime uh to ten point five minutes per hour on weekends and twelve minutes per hour on weekdays for kids programming and host selling was officially prohibited.
1: Yeah. That was the children children's television act. That's right. Um, they also, the idea of having to break for commercials with we'll be right back or mm-hmm. now a word from our sponsor that came out of that as well. Yeah. Although I seem to remember it before 1990, maybe not.
0: All right. So you mentioned earlier that, uh, other countries are doing this. Um, Australia, Canada, Sweden, the UK, they all have regulations on stuff like this.
1: Yeah. By doing this, you mean actually doing something. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Correct.
1: Yeah, there's a whole spectrum, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, that has to do with how a country approaches advertising to children. And the U.S. actually represents one radical end of it, which yeah. is v- virtually nothing. Yeah. Yeah. On the other end, there's countries that have banned it, like uh, Quebec, which, again, is a province, but, yeah, yeah. it's also an occupied country.
0: Uh, in Norway and Sweden, big surprise there. Nordic countries mm-hmm. coming in there. Swinging the bat of justice. <laughs> right. Swinging the reindeer <laughs> rack
1: of justice.
0: Uh, they completely ban marketing to children under the age of 12 in those countries.
1: Right. And then a little more in the middle, you've got like the U.K. and Australia, where there's uh, far more regulations than there is in the U.S., but there's also uh, a large measure of self-regulation among the industry, too.
0: Yeah, I was really heartened to hear that. In the U.K., a lot of these aren't necessarily laws. They're just sort of unspoken rules. Hmm among advertisers that you don't uh suggest that a, a child is lacking in loyalty or you don't encourage them to pester their parents. Or, I mean, that's a big one, you know, like sure. a com- commercial that shows a kid like, Mom, can I have this? Right, there was this, um oh, I think it
1: was like Itchy and Scratchy was up for an Emmy on The Simpsons once or something, uh-huh. and they were showing the other cartoons that it was up against in the category for best animated special. And one of them was like the action man holiday special. (laughs) How to buy action man. (laughs) And it showed some kid go, I want it. And the parent looks at the box and is like, hmm. It's pretty hilarious. It's basically right there. Yeah. You
0: know? uh, another one in England, they say you, you don't make a child feel inferior or unpopular for not buying a product.
1: Yeah, that's a big one, too. Yeah,
0: and apparently these are just things that they think are decent that you shouldn't do. Because I remember,
1: too, like with, with advertising, I don't remember seeing too many like polo ads, I was very much aware of polo, but I also knew that polo was a great brand because my peers knew it was a great brand. Yeah. Right. So there's that peer pressure that starts from a oh, very sure. young age, yeah. especially with things like clothing. So to, to remove that out of the equation a little bit by not letting advertisers like make a kid feel small or inferior for not buying a product, I wonder how much it mitigates that at all.
0: Yeah. Hopefully some. You know, our own TV show might not have come around if it hadn't have been for the conscience of our director and leader. What do you mean, Chad? Mm-hmm. Our director was—he uh, went and started his production company because he was an ad dude, mm. and he was on set one day. I remember him telling me the story, mm-hmm. selling a uh, doing a commercial for a garbage junk food product mm-hmm. for kids. Mm-hmm. And was just like, had one of those moments. He's like, what am I doing? (laughs) What am I doing with my life? Yeah. And he quit it, quit his job and went and started his own production company, uh, to where they make a job. That's why, huh? No, I'm just kidding. That's (laughs) why he started it. Yeah. Nice. Where you go, Chad? Yeah. He developed, he didn't develop a conscience. He had a conscience and it was agitated and it was agitated. Nice. It's pretty neat.
1: Yeah. So then uh, our TV show came.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And that ruined him. (laughs) Uh, What about online? That's the big sort of um, new, brave new, not so brave new world.
1: Yeah, like those apps we were talking about.
0: Yeah, they're like all over the place, right?
1: Yeah, they're all over the place, but they're also, they're interactive, so your kid is... Actively participating in something that has to do with the brand. (laughs) By
0: laying on the couch. Right. Yeah.
1: their thumbs. But, but they're interacting with that brand. Yeah. You know, in their, in their head. They're also immersed into a a branded environment for long periods of time. Sure. Plus also, um, a lot of the advertising, if not a hundred percent of it is, um, targeted, right? They're using metadata based on the, your kids, other play habits, search history, other apps that's downloaded, where yeah. your kid lives, any demographic information they can get. So to, to make the ad, like, even more targeted to them. Yeah. That works on adults. Yeah. I can't imagine. It must be, like, utter magic on a kid. I'll sure. bet you can be like, watch. I'll make that kid get off the couch right now. Watch <laughs> this. I'll send him this ad. The kid gets off the couch and goes to the fridge, you know?
0: Yeah. There's a very Truman Show element to it.
1: Yeah, it seems like it.
0: Um But then again, you... you like you said, you hear the companies and the food industry and people saying there's just consumer demand. It's up to the parents. Like say no. Don't let your child pester you into buying something. Yeah. Be a good parent.
1: Sure. And that's definitely, that seems to be their position. The counter to that is. Well, if you guys think that the parent really has any kind of say over this, how, why are you spending 18 billion dollars a year advertising directly to children? Why don't you (laughs) spend that money
0: on me? They're like, well, we like a good fight. Right. (laughs) We don't like money. We like to waste (laughs) it. We're trying to be, see a good competitive, uh, situation.
1: Plus also these, these, um, the advertisers have a tremendous amount of power. To, when they're going directly to a kid yeah. to go around the parent and a parent, uh, to, uh, any parent just by definition is harried as far as a human being goes, yeah. right? So they don't have time necessarily to keep up with everything their kid's watching and counter every argument and every pester session that their kid comes at them with. Yeah. And advertisers know that and it's, it's, I mean, it's, that's unfair as well.
0: Yeah, it was a lot easier back in the day to, regulate and monitor what kind of content your children right. were made available to. Because you had TV and there were three channels. Yeah. You know? Pretty much. Um, and there was yeah, something called so, outside. Yeah. Uh, all right. So how you combat this?
1: Well, again, if you can find time in your harried life, there are some techniques that you can use apparently magically talking to your kid. Yeah.
0: Kids are smart. Yeah. Yeah. They uh we, unless it comes to discerning ads, <laughs> we always joke about dumb kids, and that's always a joke because kids are very very smart kids get things and if you talk to your kids about what buying things means and what advertising is mm-hmm. and the difference between wants and needs and how marketing works like on very basic levels, you can have these discussions right from an early age yeah it's true and um the value of uh of spending smartly.
1: Right. So that's actually, there's a tech, there's something, there's a concept called media literacy. Uh Uh-huh. And up until fairly recently, this was the, Prescription for combating advertising to kids among parents, and it was exactly what you just described: sitting down, explaining to them, like why do you why do you want that? Do you want it? Do you need it? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, like what is there something better that's less expensive, or the same thing that's less expensive? And just teaching them that that's media literacy, and it's teaching them to create a cynical filter right. that when they're being advertised to they're being manipulated and they need to take it with a grain of salt and then you have to go, okay, this is what a grain of salt means. Right. Take a step backwards,
0: right? Cynical yeah. is such a bad word though. It's maybe discerning.
1: That's another word for it, sure. The problem is, is people like uh, the campaign for commercial free childhood says, again, what you're doing is teaching kids to be good consumers. Right. You're focusing on consumerism. You're teaching them everything there is to know about consumerism. Let's, just remove kids from the equation of right. consumerism. So media literacy's kind of fallen out of favor in the last few years.
0: Yeah, I mean, it may be impossible. That's the conclusion I came to. Like, our kids aren't living our childhood life. And you can't expect that, you know?
1: No. It's, and it's true. Like, if you're like, no, you can't watch TV, or no, you can't play video games, or no, you can't, like, use your YouTube app or whatever, Uh, Like, would your kid have anything in common with any of his or her peers? I want
0: you to be a complete outcast.
1: (laughs) Yeah, an interesting one, but no one will know how interesting and charming you are because they won't talk to you.
0: Yeah, they're like, but just wait. When you're in your 30s, you're really going (laughs) to blossom.
1: Like, what? Yeah.
0: You're going to have a 401k already?
1: Yeah, no thanks. You're going to be a real catch.
0: Uh, Setting limits on this exposure is is obviously kind of a no-brainer. Uh, screen time and phones and gaming and internet and all the things they're inundated with, um, and limiting your own screen time. It's, that's a big one. Yeah. It's tough to tell the kid, you know, if you're constantly staring at your telephone as a parent, Right. you know, it's, Sh- you yeah. can't see that stuff.
1: Shut up. Barney Miller's on. <laughs> on your phone. <laughs> yeah. I guarantee you could find reruns of Barney Miller on a phone somewhere.
0: Well. My Barney Miller app doesn't feature full length shows. Oh, it does. Just video clips? Just clips. What a rip. And there's a game, too. It's pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> McBarney Miller.
1: Um, what else? Apparently, there's a book called The Berenstain Bears Get the Gimmies. Yeah. Have you read that one? I don't remember
0: that one. I read The Berenstain Bears Get the Gimmies. Oh,
1: okay. <laughs> well, this is in an alternate universe. Uh, no, never heard of that one. Apparently, it's all about teaching it's, it's teaching kids how to, um, not be little brats. Right. And to just chill out and be happy with your two sticks that your parents gave you to rub <laughs> together.
0: Uh, this last one, uh, or this last bit, I think was pretty interesting on how to, how to be involved in what they're watching. Yeah. The three ways, uh, co-viewing. It just means you're not even discussing it. You're just sitting there and watching it with them. <laughs> like <laughs> right. a, a, menacingly, yeah, menacing overlord. <laughs> Just cross your arms and look at them every once in a while. Oh, just relax. Enjoy (laughs) yourself. Do you feel like you should be watching this? Uh, Active mediation or instructive guidance is when you are watching and discussing things and saying, you know, like what we were talking about, talking about these ads or whatever the content is.
1: Right. And then there's restrictive mediation, which is you can't watch that. Yeah. And apparently active and restrictive mediation has been shown to decrease kids asking for stuff which is ultimately what the parent wants it's like i don't care how obese you get i just don't want to hear you ask for another thing <laughs> that's what we're really after if you get thin as a byproduct great
0: <laughs> you got anything else uh i don't think so <sighs> no nope. neither oh i did think this final bit was pretty interesting that you had in here that um they found that Things, the tactics to sell kids junk food have the same effect. So if you put carrots and celery in a McDonald's wrapper, Mm -hmm. the kids are going to be more apt to eat it than if you just gave them carrots and celery. That's frightening
1: and, I guess, good? I guess, but again, it goes to that heart of that thing where it's like you're just teaching kids, McDonald's says, eat these carrots. Yeah. Not, carrots are great in and of themselves. Right. All right. Well, that's advertising the kids Make of it what you will. Yeah. I'm going to go walk out into traffic. <laughs> uh, if you want to know more about advertising to kids, well, dig into the Internet because it's all over the place. I found a great site called uh, PBS Kids. Uh, don't buy it. And it teaches kids how to discern ads at a younger age. It's neat. You might want to start there. Uh, and since I said PBS Kids, it's time for Listener Mail.
0: Uh, I'm going to call this First Time Writer from a New Listener. Hey guys, new listener, first time writer My boss used to work for Kenner in the 80s and the early 90s Had some interesting tidbits about Star Wars toys Uh, Kenner had a Robin Hood Prince of Thieves collection Remember the 92 Kevin Costner? Kevin Costner, Costner, sure Yes, with the weird accent that kind of Was a little British sometimes Mm -hmm. A little Southern California (laughs) Kind of came and went Yeah Uh, I have to say though, I loved that movie when it came out It was good it's terrible, but.
1: It wasn't as good as Men in Tights.
0: The oh, of course. Mel Brooks one. Uh, I remember Robin Hood and Point Break came out that same summer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I remember that. I just remember that. either. Mm, whatever. The heck of a summer. <laughs> uh, 50% of the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves line was repurposed. Can't imagine why. Uh, into the 95 rerun of Return of the Jedi and, at the time, new Power of the Force line of toys. Uh, Most notable, the Sherwood Forest playset uh, was simply rebranded the Ewok Village. (laughs) And the Robin Hood Battle Wagon uh, was altered slightly and made the Ewok Battle Wagon. Nice. it's pretty smart when you think about it. Yeah, they're all forest bandits. Um, Also, there was one figure of the Robin Hood line, uh, one figure that was uh, repurposed uh, from the original 83 Return of the Jedi line. The Friar Tuck action figure. Was a more smoothed-out version of the Gamorrean guard, the pig-like guard in Java's palace. I remember him with a new head plopped on. Nice. Uh, sounds about right. I had another listener send in um, a video of Rick Springfield's Star Wars collection. Oh yeah, I saw. Did the, you watch
1: that? No, I haven't seen it yet.
0: Dude, I saw the email. Haven't seen the video. Rick Springfield.
1: Oh, he's rich. Is one, one of than an the
0: most avid collectors of Star Wars figures. Yeah. Like he literally has a one of a kind figure, the, oh, only, really? the only known one in the world. Wow, he has. Is it that Boba Fett with the uh, missile launch? He does. He has several of those apparently. Oh. he's like I use those <laughs> as toilet paper. <laughs> um, yeah, every once in a while, I'll just <laughs> up my butt. <laughs> um, it was. I was impressed, and he was. He was, like from the time I was a kid, I collected them, and I uh, was a little bit older when the Star Wars things came out. Like, uh-huh. he always collected things. Right. But when Star Wars came out, he was older. Right. So he started not opening them uh, because he was over playing with them, but he really just loved the packaging, thought they were beautiful and cool, mm-hmm. and has this amazing collection. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend just YouTube Rick Springfield Star Wars. I'll check that out. There's some really big Star Wars nerds in there, too. They're very jealous of Rick Springfield. Right? I wish uh, that I had Ricky's collection. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyway, that was from... Uh, he just says cheers from Cincinnati, Ohio. That doesn't count. That's dull.
1: Well, thank you, anonymous listener, who apparently is worried about being fired for revealing Kenner. From secrets s- from maybe from Cincinnati uh, if you want to get in touch with us you can tweet to us at uh, well you can hang out with me at Josh Um Clark on Twitter you can also go to SYSK Podcast you can hang out with Chuck at Charles W. Chuck Bryant and at Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know you can send us an email to Stuff Podcast at HowStuffWorks.com as always join us at our home on the web StuffYouShouldKnow.com